Hi there. Good morning. My name is Alexander Fenter once again, and uh, I greet Sarepta Church, Alan and the team that invited me to actually do this series of teachings. This is the last um, in the series of teachings, and also to Church on the Way, Andrew and the team, and then I know Vineyard in Phoenix have been using the videos for the encouragement of their congregation. I bless you and uh, honor and respect this invitation as this is my last formal video recording for these churches and for all people watching anywhere around the world. I bless you in the name of the Lord. It is Pentecost Sunday. Today we remember the mighty outpouring of God's Holy Spirit upon His church 2,000 years ago at Pentecost, the Jewish feast of the harvest, celebrating the giving of Torah on Mount Sinai, which is symbolic of the giving of the new covenant, that when Jesus ascended into heaven and entered into his coronation as king and poured out his Holy Spirit to, to empower us from within our hearts, writing his word from within us outwards, it's confirmation of the new covenant that Jesus made with God on our behalf in his blood through his death and his resurrection. We welcome the Holy Spirit. And as Pope John XXIII prayed uh, on the 11th of October, I think the 16th of October in 1962, he prayed, Come Holy Spirit and give us a second Pentecost. We pray that prayer. Today, as we remember uh, the outpouring of God's Spirit. And just to say to you, dear friends, I speak to you with a heart full of emotions because I've been feeling um, a conviction and a brokenness and a crying out to God the whole week, praying for revival, praying for the coming of the Holy Spirit upon His church, upon South Africa, upon this world. The world is so broken. With this pandemic of Corona and this lockdown and the deep uncertainty, the fear, the, the, the grief of over a hundred thousand people now have died in the USA. All those around the world who are grieving lost loved ones, people who die lonely and alone in, in the intensive care units. Also, the debates and arguments about opening church, going back to church or not. Um, I personally believe it is really unwise to have public meetings, at least while the, the, the curve has not leveled out and gone decisively downwards. Um, the, the pain and the grief of George Floyd in Minnesota, who on Monday was killed, this African-American killed by a white cop who had his knee on his neck with his hand in his pocket while looking around smugly and this man crying out, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. The, uh, it captures for me the inarticulate groanings of the Holy Spirit crying out in our weakness, praying in and through us as we don't know how to pray or how we ought to pray. Praying for God to intervene. Praying for God to send the breath of heaven and send revival and defeat evil and the racism and the fear and the hatred and the violence and the uncertainty that's going on in our world today. 
So I speak to you this Pentecost Sunday with a heart that's just been crying out, God, pour out your spirit. God, give us a second Pentecost. God, send a great revival like we've never known before in our lifetime. There have been so many prophecies that have come through um, in the last couple of months of God sending a great revival. I believe that. I'm praying for that. The global prayer movement has asked the church, Christians all around the globe, since the resurrection of Jesus for 40 days to pray and then to pray another nine days as a build-up to Pentecost, um, as the Catholics call it, a novena. And last week I spoke about this, novena, preparation for Pentecost. That when Jesus died on the third day, he rose again. And for 40 days, he appeared to his disciples and disappeared, teaching them about the kingdom. I believe that Jesus was actually, over a 40-day period, weaning his disciples from dependence on his physical presence. You know, our fallen human nature, we want a physical, visible leader, a physical uh, Messiah. But Jesus was saying, I am going away and I must go away. I must ascend to my Father in order to pour out the Holy Spirit. And he was weaning his disciples from their dependence on his physical leadership, preparing them for invisible leadership, for invisible government. That when the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit comes upon us, upon them, and the Holy Spirit from within us will lead us outwardly to advance the kingdom. It's far more difficult to live under invisible government than to live under visible leadership or visible government. To live by the leading and the power and the promptings and the indwelling Holy Spirit is to live by faith. So Jesus promised the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And Luke, um, who writes the Gospel of Luke, as well as the book of Acts, as I said last week, two parts actually, a two part of one book, the story of Jesus, and then the story of the church in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is actually the acts, not of the apostles, but the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And uh, the way Luke writes this is actually a succession narrative. So the book of Acts from chapter 1 and the end of Luke chapter 24 clearly is a succession narrative that echoes Elijah being taken up to heaven in chariots of fire. And then uh, Elisha is watching him and picks up the mantle. The mantle comes down upon him, picks him up, and he goes forth in the spirit and the power of Elijah to do twice as many miracles as Elijah. And what Luke clearly is saying here, that the ascension of Christ into the heavens was his coronation as king. And then he poured out his Holy Spirit, his mantle of anointing, that we, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be Jesus to our society. Nothing more and nothing less but to be Jesus to people, to all those around us, in our homes, to our husbands, our wives, our children, our friends, wherever we go, wherever we are. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to do what Jesus did the way he did it. 
to be who Jesus was and is the way he was, to love as Jesus loved, to teach as Jesus teached. That's what it means to follow Jesus. But all in the power of his Holy Spirit, which is Pentecost. So today we celebrate Pentecost, the Jewish feast of the harvest, 50 days after Passover, when the Holy Spirit came. And Jesus literally fulfilled Passover in his death on the cross as the Lamb of God. And he literally fulfilled the feast of Pentecost with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for the harvest to the ends of the earth. Also the Jewish feast of Pentecost. At Pentecost, they celebrated the giving of the law of Torah on Mount Sinai through Moses. And just to say that uh, Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is not only for the great harvest, but it's the sealing of the new covenant that Jesus accomplished for us in his blood and death on the cross. And the new covenant is the giving of the Spirit that lives within us and writes God's word on our hearts and our minds and from within us outwardly enables us to live what God requires of humanity. The righteousness and the holiness of God is to love God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. All that God commands and requires of people is love. And in our own fallen human nature, we cannot live up to that commandment of God. But in the new covenant that Jesus brought about in his life, death and resurrection, now empowered by his indwelling spirit, we can live what God asks of us. So we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need revival. The world needs the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so the text um, of that Luke uses to describe Pentecost, um, let me read it to you in Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, when they were all together in one place, so the early church had been praying for nine days, probably in some ways day and night, in obedience to Jesus, praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, waiting for the coming of the power of God. As Jesus is coronated King in the heavens, at the right hand of the Father, He gave gifts to His church. And so it says that while they were praying, they were all together in one place. It speaks of the unity. They were all together. They were all in one place. They had sorted out their leadership issues. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. I have dressed liturgically for this morning's talk, tongues of fire that rested on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. So, dear friends, as the prophecies that are coming through say that something big is going to happen in this time of great need worldwide, as well as in the church, this revival, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, suddenly the Holy Spirit came in answer to prayer and in answer to waiting upon God for that Holy Spirit outpouring. 
this wind, ruach of God, breath of God comes into the house where they were waiting and praying. And that very clearly Luke is connoting um, Ezekiel chapter 37 where Ezekiel has the vision of the valley of dry bones. And there are two parts. First, he's commanded to prophesy to all of scattered, broken bones and bodies to come together. And once God forms the one uh, body, one army, which was actually the first gospel of Luke, was the, the gathering and the calling of all the scattered, broken people in the in the the valley of dry bones of Israel and that renewed community of the true new Israel into whom Jesus breathed his spirit. This is the, 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 the new Israel, the true Israel, the army of God. And then Ezekiel is commanded, prophesy to the wind, the Ruach of God from the four corners. Come Holy Spirit from the four corners of the earth and breathe upon this army now, this reformed body of Christ, renewed body of Christ. And as the, the Spirit comes and fills the, the wind and fills the place, fills their bodies, they stand up on their feet and they become, they are God's mighty army to take his kingdom to the ends of the earth. And this is the connotation. The wind comes. The breath of God comes. Fills the place. Fills them. And like tongues of fire come and settle upon each of them. And they speak with other tongues. So just to say to you this dramatic uh, uh, ex explanation is then uh, unfolded. Because... All the Jews from the diaspora, from 15 different languages that the Jews were speaking in the Mediterranean world where the Jews had been scattered, had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. So in, in Judaism of the day, of Jesus' day, they were, the men were called, the Jews were called to come and celebrate in Jerusalem at the temple the three feasts of Passover, and then, of course, um, um, Shavuot, which is Pentecost, the harvest, and then Sukkot, tabernacles. And Jesus literally fulfilled Passover in Jerusalem. He literally fulfills Pentecost, Shavuot, um, in Jerusalem with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And tabernacles has also literally been fulfilled by Jesus and will be when he returns in his second coming. So... Just to say that um, as, as they come from all the different na um, nations and places in the Jewish diaspora to Jerusalem and are worshipping at the Feast of Pentecost, Jesus, the Messiah, pours out his spirit upon his little community of 120 in the upper room and they are all filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak with tongues as the Spirit enables them. And as they overflow out into, um, from the upper room and all the people hear them, they hear the wonders of God being described, the good news of the kingdom in their own language, being spoken in their own language by these Galileans, these fishermen from the north, largely, mostly the followers of Jesus. And they were amazed because these people 
had not learned these languages. And they said, are they drunk with wine? And Peter stands up and Luke basically very carefully describes every language that's represented there, 15 of them. And the way he does it basically is saying it represents the nations, the regathered Israel from all the different scattered tribes and languages represents that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is for all people, all flesh, all the goyim. The renewed Israel is the instrument to, to fulfill Israel's original call to be priests to the nations, to be kings, to be prophets, to bring all the scattered nations of the Tower of Babel into the kingdom of God. And indeed, the way that, that Luke describes Pentecost is a very clear, theologically, reversal of the Tower of Babel. At Babel, there was one united humanity that spoke one language, one and the same language. In their unity, with their one language, they were lifted up with pride in their hearts. And again, like Adam and Eve, wanted to be like God and built a tower into the heavens to see what God was doing and to be like God. And there God judged that arrogance of united humanity by giving them different languages and scattering them into different uh, uh, nations, ethnic, ethnia, tribes and languages and nations and therefore cultures. Culture comes from language, ethnicity. And so God judged humanity in their arrogance and pride by scattering them through speaking in tongues. Here, Jesus on the cross dies to break down all walls of partition. Ephesians chapter 2 Paul clearly says that the wall that causes hostility between Jew and Gentile and Gentile and Gentile, between male and female, between rich and poor, wherever there are walls that are, are cultural, linguistic, social, class, gender, that divide people from people and people from God in the death of Christ, all walls of hatred and racism and hostility have been torn down by Jesus absorbing it into his own body on the cross. All the violence and the hatred of humanity, all the class-mindedness, the racism, the sexism, has been absorbed into Jesus' body on the cross. And his blood that is shed tears down all the walls of division. And now, at Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit reverses the Tower of Babel. And God uses many tongues to bring together all the divided and scattered nations of the earth into one new humanity that is reconciled with God and reconciled with each other. Whether we rich and poor, black or white, European or African, male or female, but we've become one in Jesus Christ through the death and resurrection of Jesus and through the power and the outpouring of his Holy Spirit that comes upon us. So theologically, Pentecost is very, very important. And the power of the Holy Spirit is the power for evangelism and witness. But it's the power of reconciliation that takes us across all barriers in increasing circles outwards until we reach the ends of the earth. And so that's why Luke says, 
puts in the mouth of Jesus and says that when Jesus for 40 days appeared to his disciples in, in Acts chapter 1, he told him, pray and wait for the coming of the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive dunamis, the Greek word dynamite, literal spiritual power, sheer force. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then cross the barrier into Judea, cross the barrier, the racial barrier to the half-breeds, the Samaritans, and then to the ends of the earth, all the nations of the earth. And it's crossing barriers and barriers and barriers. And so when this happens at Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out, and they all speak in tongues, these different tongues. And all the Jews from all the diaspora hear the, the gospel, the wonders of God being spoken in their own language. And they are drawn to this phenomenon, thinking these people are drunk. Peter stands up and boldly, the, the new, different Peter, from, from after his denial of Jesus on the Thursday night around a fire, when Judas betrayed Jesus and they arrested him, Peter's denial. And then Jesus coming to Peter after the resurrection again and again, restoring Peter in his failure and in his weakness. Now here is the bold Peter, fearless, full of the Holy Spirit, standing up and saying to everyone present, and there were thousands of Jews in the temple courtyard all around there. And probably when Peter spoke, he spoke to many hundreds because it says 3,000 people on that day gave them their lives and they put their faith in Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, as a result of Peter's explanation of this phenomena of speaking in tongues and the power of the Holy Spirit. So Peter says, don't be confused about this. This is that which the prophet Joel spoke. And uh, Joel prophesied in Joel chapter 2 verse 28, that the day will come in the last days, God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And then he goes through these barriers. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams. There is the generation gap that's crossed. This is in um, Hebrew. This prophecy from Joel is actually Hebrew poetry. And it's called a parallelism. Young people will, dream, will see visions and old people will dream dreams. Visions and dreams are the same thing. It's basically saying the same thing. Um, you see visions with your eyes open but, and you dream dreams perhaps with your eyes closed, but it also can be inverted. The, the generation gap is crossed. So your servants, both men and women, there's the, there's the gender gap. Men and women will prophesy, will be filled with the Holy Spirit. The servants and the masters will be filled with the Spirit. Every gap, whether it's class, generation, gender, racial, cultural, geographical, is crossed in the coming of the power of the Holy Spirit to take the gospel of the kingdom, which is the gospel of reconciliation with God and with humanity and with creation, right through to the ends of the earth. And then just to say to you, this uh, clearly picks up um, on Luke's theology, going back to his gospel and going throughout the book of Acts, that, that even at the birth of Jesus, Luke chapter 1, three times Luke mentions that people were filled with the Holy Spirit. And he picks up that same phrase now at Pentecost. 
So when Zechariah in Luke 1 is ministering in the temple and the angel appears to him and says that his wife will have a son who is John the baptizer, it speaks of him being filled with the Spirit. And when Mary met Elizabeth, who then was pregnant with John the baptizer, she was filled with the Spirit. And Luke's theology of Jesus is he's filled with the Spirit. He's the anointed one, the Mashiach, baptized in the Holy Spirit. So the way, the way Luke uses Luke's language for the Spirit and Luke's language of the baptism of the Holy Spirit goes back to the Old Testament theology of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Quite clearly in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of the Holy One, has got two clear streams of emphasis in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is for sanctification, cleansing, renewal. Um, and that, uh, like David prays, Lord, in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. After he sinned with Bathsheba and killed her husband Uriah, the Holy Spirit renews, sanctifies, cleanses. That's one major stream in the Old Testament. But another major stream, if not a bigger stream of emphasis, is the constant reference to the Holy Spirit coming upon people, coming upon Moses, coming upon the 70 elders, coming upon Samson, coming upon the deliverers and the judges, coming upon the prophets on that prophesy. And Paul's theology in his epistles, he uses the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that phrase in 1 Corinthians 12, to talk about our being born again, that we are baptized um, into Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, and we are born again, our sins are forgiven, we are cleansed and sanctified. But Luke's theology, in contrast to, to Paul's, he uses baptism of the Holy Spirit to pick up this whole stream of the outpouring and empowering and anointing of the Spirit to do the great works of God in deliverance to bring people into the kingdom. And so whenever Luke speaks of they were filled with the Spirit, he always attaches and they prophesied. From at the birth of Jesus, whenever the Spirit is, is referred to as being filled, people speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth, Mary, and then when Jesus is filled with the Spirit, he's anointed with power at his, at, when he's baptized in water, and he does signs and wonders and miracles. And so when here they are filled with the Spirit, they speak in tongues. And that theme continually goes throughout the book of Acts. And what Luke does is a very interesting thing. And I will bring this to a close with, with these thoughts on the power of the Holy Spirit that you and I need to receive. The infilling that we need to pray for afresh and receive again and again. It says they were in that upper room. And the wind came into the room and filled the whole house. And it, and it says they, they saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that came upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Spirit. In the Greek, that's the passive tense. The Holy Spirit came into them. God filled them with the Spirit. That's God's work. He fills us. He breathes into us. The, the Holy Spirit. And it says, and they began to speak in tongues. That's the active tense. They responded 
as, as God breathed into them the Spirit, they responded with speaking in other tongues as the Spirit prompted them. The word enabled is to prompt, enable. That again is the passive tense. So you have this amazing dance of the human and the divine, this blending together. The divine comes upon us. The Holy Spirit encounters us. God breathes into us His Spirit. We breathe in and we respond by uh, obeying the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And in this case, the promptings to praise God, which then came out in different languages as the Spirit enabled them or prompted them. And there is this divine human dance of infilling, responding as the Spirit prompts us. And so Luke then talks about the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, who then had hands laid on them. The Samaritans were the half-breeds of Jews and, and Gentiles. And they had hands laid upon them by the apostles, and they were baptized in water, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And there was some phenomena that took place, because Simon the sorcerer observed the apostles and said, Hey, give me that power, that I can lay hands on people and have these spiritual manifestations. So the implication is they might have spoken in tongues or prophesied. And then, of course, Acts chapter 10 Luke um, explains how that the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit through the ministry of Peter. And there, when the Spirit came upon them, they also spoke in tongues. And then later, um, Luke has a special category of John's disciples, Acts chapter 19, where they were followers of John the baptizer and had not yet heard the full gospel. And they were had hands laid on them, and they were filled with the Spirit, and they spoke in tongues. So, dear friends, just to say to you, as Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, speaking in tongues is, is a manifestation, a gift of the Holy Spirit's indwelling. And I believe the, the teaching of Luke, and then that comes out in Paul, is that when the Spirit empowers us and comes upon us, he comes with manifestations and gifts and enablings, with promptings. And one of the most common is the, the ability to speak in tongues. It is the kind of trigger that opens up the other gifts of the Spirit to prophesy, to exercise gifts of healings, miracles, faith, to discern spirits, to have Insight of knowledge and wisdom, all the enablings, the promptings, the empowerings, the charismata of the Spirit are given to us in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That then we learn to exercise and flow in. And tongues is this simple principle. When we speak in tongues, we actually entrust ourselves to God beyond our rational and natural human knowledge. It's uh, Paul says, those who speak in tongues speak mysteries. The mind is unfruitful. We don't understand it. But we actually are God's Spirit in us, speaks through us directly to God, whether it's the gospel, the wonders of God, praise, prayer, groanings, intercessions, whatever it is. It's this kind of surrender in faith of all our faculties 
to the Holy Spirit to govern us and speak through us as he or she desires. James says that the tongue is the most unruly member of the human body and cannot be tamed by anyone, not even ourselves. And God, in the gift of speaking in tongues, in a way, symbolically tames our tongue to put a bit in our mouth so that all our faculties come under the government and the control and the wind of the Spirit. So to be filled with the Spirit, empowered with the Spirit, is to be under the impulses, the inclinations, the government of the Holy Spirit, whereby He leads us this way and that way, gives us insight and knowledge, prompts us to lay on hands. And so speaking in tongues is the basic principle that we surrender control of all our faculties to God and even transcend our rational mind, which actually becomes unfruitful and move in the realm of the supernatural together with God's Spirit, just as Jesus did, and allow the powers of heaven, the powers of the coming age to work in us and through us, out to all those around us, so that the power of the coming ages, the Holy Spirit, advances God's kingdom in and through us. So when Jesus says, go to the ends of the earth, he does not leave us powerless. He gives us his power, the Holy Spirit, and all that we need to enable us to be Jesus to this world. Dear friends, receive the Holy Spirit. It's Pentecost. Oh, come Holy Spirit and give us a second Pentecost. Bless my brothers and sisters. Bless these churches, whoever watches this video, and may your spirit, Lord, fall upon them now. Baptize us, plunge us into the Holy Spirit, immerse us, submerge us into the Spirit with power and all of the charismata of the Holy Spirit. And take us out of our houses, out of our churches, into the marketplace, on the street. To gossip the gospel of Jesus. The good news. Jesus is now king. He sits at the father's right hand. He rules and he runs over all evil. Principalities and powers. And he can set you free. Right here. Right now. Today. He can heal your body. So I speak healing to your body. I rebuke that pain. And command it to go in the name of Jesus. I bless you with what you need right now by the power of God, by the finger of God, the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. Thank you. May God bless you and may God give us a great revival with signs and wonders following such as we've never seen in our lifetime before. And may hundreds of thousands of people into the kingdom over the next few years by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen.